There are probably plenty of people out there who have stories about the band ZZ Top and plenty of people out there who have stories about the band Kiss, but my guest this week actually has a story that involved both of them. This is the Greatest Story Ever podcast. There comes a time when all the cosmic tumblers have clicked into place and the universe opens itself up for a few seconds to show you what's possible. With Keith Conrad. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. In this podcast, I'm collecting the craziest life experiences people have had, and they can be good, bad, or just plain head scratchers. Take the case of Wendy Hurd from Florida, and you can probably guess how this is going to go just based on the fact that it's from Florida. Hurd was in a verbal argument with a man in their home when suddenly she decided it was a good idea to grab their pet cat and throw it in his face. Uh... So I guess this story is more of a face scratcher than a head scratcher. Of course, you'd already know about the Florida cat thrower if you had visited my website, KeithConradMedia.com, and signed up for my free email newsletter, The New Side Quest. Each and every weekday, you'll receive a smattering of interesting stories just like that one, along with my snarky commentary and a few entertaining gifts. My guest this week is John McCumber, a U.S. Air Force veteran and a contributing writer at Ordinary Times. John, thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Good to be with you today, Keith. And uh, way back in uh, episode 25, which I, I think uh, is is the halfway point because this is uh, 50. I've been doing this for, for basically a year now. And uh, back in episode 25, I talked to uh, uh, James Van Osdell, a former colleague of mine, about a a concert experience that was um, it, it was less than stellar. So <laughs> I, I I you know you have another you know musical sort of concert experience, and so I'm hoping yours will be a little bit more positive. Well, I hope it is positive. It was a it's a fun story, but you really have to go in your wayback machine to 1974 for this story. Uh, I I would except if if this is uh, like Quantum Leap. Uh, I wasn't born in in seventy four, so so I, <laughs> I, I so if if we're if we're Sam Beckettinging it, I I couldn't do that. But no, a lot of people weren't. So, <laughs> <laughs> but Billy Gibbons was, and and so was ZZ Top. So I was uh, in nineteen. I graduated high school in uh, nineteen seventy four, and then I mm-hmm. had, uh, I was always involved in music. I. Uh, was a drum major for my high school marching band, and oh, uh, nice. I learned to play guitar so I could go out on more dates. Uh, I, I thought it would overcome my uh, appearance, uh, the fact that I could play the guitar, but I ended up like the guy in Animal House, where they come up the stairs and bash his guitar against the wall. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't get more dates, but I did learn to play. And so one of the uh, opportunities I had, uh, a friend of mine who was uh, uh, in, in school, his dad was a concert promoter. And he came to me, he goes, look, at, uh, we need help. They got a concert coming to the area. And uh, he said, I need some uh, some people to, you know, to help. I can't pay you, but you can get backstage passes to the, con- uh, con- uh, to the concert. And, and he said, if you ever wanted to hear ZZ Top Live. And, of course, you know, at the time they had, uh, in fact, the year before, they had released the Trey Zombres album and, and, you know, had some great music on there. I was like, are you kidding I would I would do anything, you know, and, and what a what a great opportunity for an 18 year old kid. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he said, well, you don't have any experience with a soundboard. I go, no. 
And he goes, you have any experience with uh, lighting and getting on those, uh, you know, tall rafters and, and climbing up there? No, I certainly don't have experience with that. He goes, well, I'll tell you what, you're not good at much of it, this, but we need somebody to drive the limo. Would you be willing to drive the band around to meetings and appointments and a sound check before the concert? <laughs> and, and at that point, if you just graduated high school, yeah. you've been driving for two whole years. So you're a veteran. Two, two whole years. I was a vet. Not only that, I was a bad driver. So, you know, I was just... I was your typical idiot teenager and uh, and liked to drive fast and, and, and loose and, and had a, and, and so he goes, you have a license, right? And I go, yes. So he said, meet me at the hotel. He said, they're coming in on a coach, but you know, we'll be able to uh, switch them to the to limo. So I went over to this hotel uh, in, in the nearby town and you really have to set the stage with this. I was born and raised in this town in the uh, on the Mississippi River called Moline, Illinois. Uh, about the only thing people know about Moline quickly is that it's the headquarters for John Deere. And so, and of course, that's where I was there for is my dad worked in the factory there. And so I grew up there. This concert was in the slightly larger uh, metropolis of Davenport, Iowa, which is across the Mississippi River. And this becomes an important fact here in this story. So they have to go, uh, you know, have to understand that, that I was living in Moline. I was going to school in Rock Island, Illinois, which was near us and across the river from Davenport. And that's where I met this kid. So anyway, I, I offered to help and he said, meet me over there. So I got in my personal car, which was a, you know, 66 Nova. And I drove over there, got to this hotel. And it was, I mean, this, when I say hotel, again, this is the early days of some of these bands. Mm-hmm. And and this wasn't exactly, you know, the Ritz Carlton or anything like that. This was one of those hotels that had the doors on the outside of the building, <laughs> two stores, you'd pull in in a car and, and it overlooked the parking lot. But I went in there and sat in the lobby and there was, you know, some cases and some managers and obviously all the major equipment was headed to this auditorium where uh, ZZ Top was going to play that night. And so I sat there for three hours with nothing to do. No, I didn't see anybody fancy or important. And this guy comes over and introduces himself. And, and this, again, I wish I was making this up, but it, it would be, you know, but it wouldn't be as funny. This, the, the manager for the tour, for the road tour that year is from Texas. His name was Mr. Tickle. And Mr. Tickle walked over to me and he said, uh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Was his name actually Mr. Tickle or did people just actually call him Mr. No, Tickle? No, his aim is Mr. Tickle. <laughs> and, 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 you know, they said it was, you know, I wanted to, you know, it's, it, I wanted to laugh when they told me, but I, everybody looked at me dead seriously. And I realized it's probably not appropriate to laugh at somebody's name. I've got a funny last name. So I, I said, I better, uh, better play this straight. So, uh, you know, I had had on my best uh, worn out jeans with, uh, you know, my sisters had done some embroidery on them and patches and I had a nice floral shirt and my, uh, my uh, you know, my Neil Young hairstyle with the brace of mutton chops. So, you know, I was dressed apart. And so it was just this opportunity. I'm sitting there. Mr. Tickle says, here's the keys to this, you know, this uh Lincoln that's sitting out there, 72 Lincoln stretch. And he said, uh, when the guys come, you know, just take them where they need to go. That was, that's all the direction I had. So I waited for quite a while. Then all of a sudden a bunch of boisterous noise burst into that lobby. And it was obvious who the band was. Uh, Billy at the time was, I think a week shy of his 20, I think 25th or 26th birthday that, that year. Uh, I was 18. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was that the band was, you know, uh, Dusty Hill and, and Frank, the drummer, 
And so um, we had, it was the three of them, they came in boisterous, loud, and, and walked, and Mr. Tickle goes, there's your driver. So I was, <laughs> I jumped up, and, and he goes, hey, uh, you know, we're hungry, and we're Texas boys. We've been eating this hotel food. We need to leave and go eat some Tex-Mex cooking instead of hotel food here. Now, of course, this is Davenport, Iowa. I grew up on the other side of the river, and I realized I have no idea what there is to eat in Davenport, Iowa, because, you know, that that might have been Milwaukee or another city in the Midwest, because I just never went there very often. And and it was across the river. That was a major journey for us in the day. And I did go over to the Iowa side of the river because the drinking age was lower then. So I was old enough to drink in Iowa, but not technically in Illinois. So there was uh, there was always a big wave of traffic of the Illinois kids driving to Iowa in the night and then wheeling back across the bridges uh, later that evening. And so I had this opportunity that, and then you go, kid, do you know any place that, that would have Tex-Mex food? Well, the only place I knew were back on the other side of the river. And I go, well, you know, guys, um, you know, there's a place run by this Mexican family that's, you know, got a great reputation, but it's across the river. And they go, that's not far, is it? And I go, no. They go, no, all right. If you know it, then you can endorse it. Let's go there. So I loaded them in the back. We drove the limo across this, uh, and rather than taking the big interstate bridge, there's an I-74 bridge that crosses it, but there's a fair amount of traffic uh, on that. So there's a little government bridge, an iron bridge called the Arsenal Bridge, a government bridge technically is known at the day, but everybody call it the Arsenal Bridge because there's an arsenal that sits on an island in the middle of the Mississippi River there called the Rock Island Arsenal. And you might remember that. You've heard of the Rock Island Lines and the Rock Island Arsenal. So mm-hmm. uh, that was the, uh, the bridge I decided to take, drove them over to the restaurant. So we uh, pulled into the parking lot of this Mexican restaurant and they uh, burst through the door, you know, loud as they had when they burst into the lobby of the hotel and made all this commotion, talked to the owner. And she was busy actually back in the kitchen uh, doing up dishes from the lunch crowd. We were there late in the day, close around to three o'clock. So the lunch crowd was gone. The dinner crowd hadn't showed up yet. And so we had the place to ourselves and having a great time. We'd enjoyed a, a great meal of tamales, uh, beans and rice and with, covered with hot sauce. And as we were sitting there at the restaurant and they were talking, we were all talking, uh, what we noticed was the one of the daughters uh, of the owner was behind the, the wall that between the kitchen and the dining area. And she was looking and looking and, you know, I looked around and you could see posters for the con- concert that were around the walls of the restaurant. So they were, they were being advertised locally. And so they're ZZ Top in their Nashville finest attire. And all of a sudden you could tell the exact instant in this young woman's eyes when she realized who we were. And she goes, and of course, then we saw her do that. Billy saw her and Frank. And so they got real quiet. And all of a sudden you could hear, she goes, oh, my God, they're in my mother's restaurant. And at that point, what what happened was you could, you know, she disappeared below the wall. And you heard a a quarter go into a phone, uh, you know, go down a phone. It's It's a unique sound. Anybody who's my age knows exactly what that sounds like. And Billy gets this big grin. He laughs. He goes, John, I think it's time you bring the limo around. I think we should get out of here before things get a little weird. So he, he paid the bill. I ran out, grabbed the, the old Lincoln, pulled it in front of the restaurant. The guys jumped in back, and we rolled out with a cloud of dust and went back to that Arsenal Bridge to get back for their sound check that afternoon. 
as we drove to the Arsenal Bridge, you know, the dummy in me, the inexperienced chauffeur, just a teenage kid, had forgot something that had been a ritual in the area for ever since World War II, and that is the changing of shifts at Rock Island Arsenal. And what had happened is that they had a special signal on the bridge that stopped all cross-river traffic, the traffic going from where we were in Rock Island to where we needed to be in Davenport, and was allowing all the workers from the arsenal to depart, leave the, leave the bridge while it stopped the cross-river traffic. <laughs> we're stuck, I don't know, probably a dozen cars back from, from that intersection just sitting there idling. Billy looked at me and goes, you know, we have to be at a sound check in 10 minutes. Is there anything you can do? So I thought about it for a minute, looked ahead, and I said, I think there might be something I can do. Anybody want to drive? <laughs> so Billy goes, I'll drive. So he jumped in the front seat of the car. I swapped places with him. I raced up between the idle traffic, and I went between two lanes of idling cars, ran up there, jumped on this little traffic island, and I looked at and, and around and I decided I manually stopped the traffic leaving the arsenal and started waving across the cross river traffic that was coming from Rock Island to Davenport trying to bring the, the limo up. And I was waving them and the people looked at me incredulously because they, they you know, this was, this is a time honored tradition. Everybody knew shift change at the arsenal, what that meant. Not only that, the people I was stopping from leaving the arsenal side of the bridge were very upset because I was, you know, something they had done for 20 years without a hiccup. And all of a sudden, this stupid kid standing on the bridge stopping the traffic. So there were horns, uh, epithets, uh, you know, off-color hand gestures, you name it. And I was getting shouted and yelled at while I was vigorously trying to hurry along the traffic and bring that limo up. And I kept watching the limo creep and creep. And as I looked down toward the arsenal, I saw the gate shack where the guards were, the military police. And one had pulled out a pair of binoculars because he heard all the commotion. And he assumed there was an accident or something. But you could see him realize what was happening through those binoculars. Two MPs jumped into a Jeep that was the next thing and started turn on the lights, turned on the siren, and started coming down uh, on the opposite side of the bridge to come and deal with me. And so I look over my shoulder to look for the limo. I look down at the military police headed my way, and my mind did that entire calculus thing that you've seen that meme where where the face is looking and then you're doing mm -hmm. all these high order, you know, you know, I was doing high order math trying to figure out oh, who's going to get here first. And just as the MPs pulled up, grabbed their billy clubs and their flashlights, jumped out of that Jeep, Billy uh, pulled up alongside me with the limo. Frank Hill, uh, Dusty Hill, I'm sorry, the base payer, Dusty, flung open that back door and said, John, I think it's time for you to stop playing in traffic. Get in this truck uh, limo and it's time to go. And so Billy floored it. We raced across the, uh, the bridge to the Iowa side, switched drivers, and I managed to get them to their... Uh, sound check with five minutes to spare and from that point on you were their favorite limo driver ever well this is there's a fun coda to this whole story about this exactly and so this is the coda so while i was you know you know got him back and we did the sound check and then you know i brought him back to the hotel then back to the concert venue for the show uh they had some time they got there to the concert venue and then um we had a the, there's two backup bands and and so, you know, the, the, the kickoff band is always the junior one. You know, nobody's ever heard of them. And so as I'm standing alongside the stage uh, waiting to drive 
ZZ Top back to where the hotel. Uh, the backup band was getting ready to go on and they were announcing them. And then I turned around and looked and I thought, my God, is that a band or a vaudeville act? I saw these guys standing there in heavy makeup and costumes. And I saw the one guy who looked like a medieval nightmare. And he, you know, he had a face makeup, he had armor, and he was wearing, he had a bass guitar shaped like an axe. And I said, who are you guys? And he shook my hand. He said, son, he goes, my name's Gene Simmons and we're Kiss. And, that, <laughs> and, and so this, they were the backup to the backup band in 1974 and were playing, you know, which is in Congress in many ways. But, you know, it was just what an opportunity. And then Billy said, let's go back to my hotel. I got a couple hours till we play. And I took him back to his hotel room. He called me and we sat and drank beer. And uh, he took a hat out of a, you know, these, they're giving away these hats as a promotional item. And he had this cowboy hat and he goes, I want you to have this. And he said, but I got to tell you something, if you wear it like this, you'll look like a goat roper. And so I will, you know, anybody wants to look up Texas slang, I'll let you do that. But he said, I'll put some folds and bends in it so you won't look so bad. So he did all the folds and bends. I still have that hat. What I'm going on, what, 50 years ago or whatever it is now that it is. I had that hat. And uh, and then I took him back to the concert, got him back up on stage, was listening to him crank out uh, LaGrange. And Mr. Tickle came up behind me and he said, John, he said, Billy told me what happened on that bridge out there. He says, uh, I got an offer for you. We'd like you uh, to, to join the road crew if you're interested. And And this is one of those life changing moments, you know? So <laughs> I looked at him and I don't know why I just, you know, I, I you know, maybe it was my devout Catholic upbringing or, or whatever my Midwestern, uh, you know, vibes. But I just I had to turn them down. I don't know why, uh, but I did. Uh, and the following week, I was kicked out of college with a, a grade point average that would only be envied by John Blutarski. Uh So I uh, I was booted out and asked not to come back. And so my life took a different turn. But what a, what a night in December of 1974. Well, that was definitely a more positive uh, concert experience than my uh, the, the previous story. Um, yeah, that, that I, I I wonder um, you know how how different your life would have been if you would have said yes to that. <laughs> it could have been good, could have been bad. You know yeah. what? We'll never know. But yeah. you know, it was a it was a flattering offer, and and I, it's just a story I've loved to tell. It's funny when I, I alluded to it, I, I hadn't probably told that story in ten or fifteen years. Uh, you know, my wife certainly heard the story. Uh, it happened before we had met, and uh, and she knew the story of the hat because I've all the military, uh, uh, you know, changes of location, all the moves we've made, different things. That hat's gone with me for our entire marriage now, forty years, and she knows the story of the hat. Uh, but yeah, who knows what life would have been? Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story, John. I loved it. I love being with you today, Keith. And uh, anytime, I'd love to uh, have an opportunity to chat with you. It's been a lot of fun today. If you think you could top John's story, shoot me an email at greateststoryeverpodcast at gmail.com. Gabatron 